And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck him up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Welcome to football. <laughs> it's... It is not the football. <laughs> oh, it's not. It's not footballs. It's football. <laughs> football Welcome day. To football. <laughs> Welcome to football's day. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I add s's to things. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I like it. it. Everything's better in numbers. We like more things. <laughs> bye bye bye. Yeah. How's it going? How was your uh, holiday weekend? It was good. No complaints. I I played Skyrim for like 48 hours. (laughs) Couldn't get out of it. I was just sitting there and I had to charge my controller like three times throughout the course of the weekend. And I just was rocking and rolling, man. Saving the world from dragons. What's that? Yeah, I felt like it. I just I couldn't put it down. I'm pretty sure that on Saturday I played for 12 hours. Holy buckets. That's awesome. Yeah. I started at noon, and before I knew it, it was 2 in the morning. <laughs> that's, that's a long time, I know. <laughs> Feel bad. Did you see any fireworks at all outside? Uh, yeah, so I kept taking breaks. Um, I had to eat, and I had to watch fireworks. So that's why I'm saying 12 hours. But um, from our bedroom, which is on a second story, it just looked like this crazy light show out in the distance. It was pretty cool. And I'm, I mean, cool. I'm not really a firework kind of guy. I mean, at Disneyland, it's pretty neat and all, but I don't need to go to some stand and buy your your Joe Turd, <laughs> you know, you're, fireworks. <laughs> you're going to sit there owning a fireworks stand and tell me. <laughs> Is that the good news? Hoosker don'ts, with or without the scooter stick. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need all that stuff. I'm good with the with the snakes and sparklers. <laughs> These are the that's good your ones. problem. <laughs> it's not about what you want; it's what the consumer lacks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. I will agree with that 100. That is a really good statement. It's all about the consumer, the totally. consumer experience, as it were. And then I watched. I guess I watched the town for like the 50th time. I watched. Um, I'll be gone in the dark. That documentary that's on HBO. Uh, that is trailing the uh, the East Area Rapist slash uh, original Night Stalker. And then I watched Knives Out. I, I meant to mention that last week, but I think I forgot. Um, I wasn't into it. I don't, I don't know what my problem is. I, I know a lot of people liked it and, and enjoyed it. And I think it was just because I had gotten so much feedback on the movie, I, it ruined my experience. I think if I would have went into this without any expectations, I probably would have enjoyed it more. But I was just kind of waiting for it to be over when it was all said and done. And I felt kind of bad about that. Interesting, because when I saw it in theaters, I kind of felt the same way. I was like, I like it, but it wasn't I wasn't blown away like everybody else was. Uh, But but my second viewing actually was after the Academy Awards this earlier this year. And I really enjoyed it more at home, even though I knew the plot twist and everything. But I was paying more attention to it. So I enjoyed it my second viewing, which is very rare for me. I don't think I ever do that per se. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I mean, I guess unless Alex wants to watch it, I probably won't watch it anytime soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. Was that I'll Be Gone in the Dark pretty good? Because I have it on my list. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm not quite certain how many episodes it's going to be, uh, but the it's coming out. It comes out on Fridays and episode two came out this last weekend. So. Cool. Yeah, it's following the book pretty well. I mean, I, I read a book every 10 years, and it just so happens that this was the, the last book I read. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, take that for what it's worth. But I'm enjoying it. It's, it's fun to put faces to names because they interview a lot of the survivors and just hearing their stories. And when, when it involves the couples and you 
the woman, the, the wife ultimately tells the story because they were the one that was attacked because the husband was usually tied up and left in the bedroom and they just shut down during the interviews, you know, because they just felt, you know, like a failure either as just as a partner, as a husband, as a man, I don't know, but it's so sad to see, um, you know, them just, just retract, you know, and just, and, and just fall back into this horrible shell of reliving this nightmare. And, and then the wife or, or in, in a lot of cases, you know, the, any of the victims per se, um, you know, they are just really, really incredibly strong people to a have to retell the story over and over and over again. And, and B to just be able to keep their composure through it, you know, just, just talking about it gives me the chills. I can't even imagine going through something like that and having to tell somebody about it. Yeah, my family, we have a we have a horrible dark spot in our history that something happened. And um, my grandma is has been interviewed a bunch. And so like there's been a bunch of documentaries on like Netflix and other things. But my poor grandma, I just I feel so bad for her that she has to keep reliving this, especially nowadays with with everybody being so obsessed with murder mysteries and all this stuff, uh, all these new Netflix, Amazon, Hulu documentaries coming to light. You know, she gets requests to do interviews often and it's it's very interesting, and, and I, I don't want that to happen anymore because I don't want her to feel that pain. It's uh, it's too hard to keep digging up, you know, all that stuff. Right. Yeah, we're sitting there. You know, I'm watching people talk about, oh, I love murder mysteries, you know, and cracking open a bottle of wine and and enjoying this. And I'm thinking to myself, this this isn't really entertainment for me. Like, this is no. making me sick, dude. Yeah. And I, I just I can't get into it, and it's just not a thing. I, I hate I hate when I come into a room and Alex is watching something about a kidnapping or, or some child murder or something. I'm just like, Oh my God, can't we just watch like fucking King of the Hill or something? <laughs> I can't, I can't do this right now. <laughs> it's just not, it's not my, not my cup of tea. And so many of these people just, you know, they get away with it and they have no idea who they were. And, and it's, I need a happy ending, you know, and, and you don't, you don't get that. You might get closure, but you don't get a happy ending. And that's and that's hard to, for me to stomach. I agree. I absolutely agree with you. So um, I uh, I watched a couple movies, or a few movies. I watched a Eurovision Song Contest, a fire saga story. That's that new Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams movie. And it was actually pretty entertaining for the most part. It's about two hours long and it's on Netflix. I didn't really know much about it, but I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was overly funny. I thought it was just an enjoyable enough movie. Uh, I revisited Kill Bill Volume 2 because I had recently seen Kill Bill Volume 1 a few months back. And I've seen both movies uh, a bunch of times, but I really forgot how much I liked Volume 2. Uh, I started watching Restaurant Impossible with uh, (laughs) Chef Robert Irwin, and that's an awesome show. Uh, I, I obviously it's you know there's a lot of scripted parts in it, but I really do like Robert Irwin a lot. Were you gonna say something about him? No, no, or the, or I was the show. Think, no, I, I apologize. I was thinking of the music in Kill Bill Volume Two, with sort of the the westerny samurai vibe that it puts off. Which is oh, like that. yeah, <laughs> kind of music playing, <laughs> and I'm just like, what is happening? But yeah, like you, I also. I've seen those movies a thousand times, but as you were talking, I was playing the music in my head and I, just, I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> my favorite of the, in Kill Bill Volume 1, when she fights Oren Ishii and it goes, it's like clap, 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 clap. Yeah. Like, I don't even, it's, it's hard to explain, but yeah, it's, it's, I love the music in his films, but uh, yeah. And then I also played some Call of Duty, been playing a decent amount of Call of Duty. Uh, and then finally, I was so excited. Uh, I th- yesterday and I finished up this morning. Actually, I watched Hamilton on Disney Plus, and I've been wanting to see this musical for a very long time. But it was like damn near impossible. You had to win like a golden ticket out of a Wonka bar to to go see I it. I got a golden ticket, <laughs> and uh, it's so Disney Plus has it uh, streaming, and it was from the original cast back in 2016 in, in New York. And it is phenomenal. I am. I was blown away. It's worth the hype. It's so so good. It's just very long. It's two hours and forty five minutes. Just like oh. you know, it's a it's it's a play, but there is an intermission. It's only one minute, but <laughs> very very good. And everyone is so amazing in it. And oh, I I could watch it again, but maybe not for a little watch. bit. <laughs> I know you say won't. never say never, but <laughs> I know that is I know that is won't. my Titanic or my Star Wars. I will. I, 
I will go my whole life and 20 years from now and I get to say, I've never seen the Hamiltons. And then you can say, you've never seen Hamilton? And I'd be like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't do the Hamilton. I know. That's that's okay. I knew I knew it's not really your cup of tea because you don't really like the singing and all the pageantry and stuff. But I am a sucker for musicals, and I uh, definitely definitely like that one. So I was very very happy that Disney Plus had it. So there you go, man. Not gonna do it. I know man. how it ends. <laughs> Spoiler alert: He dies. <laughs> a milk commercial ruined it for me a long time ago. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Which, uh, incidentally, happens to be the guy from that thing you do. The one that's like the fan of the Oneaters. Oh, He's the yeah, one that's yeah. in the commercial. How are we going to beat girls and dance if, we can't, <laughs> if you can't listen to music and dance? Exactly. Shut up. I'll kick your ass. <laughs> I'll kick your ass. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, just like the movie we're going to do today, we are going to do uh, John Carpenter's They Live. From 1988, this is a this is a doozy. John Carpenter, of course, is a, is a fine young man that brought uh, such classics as Halloween, The Thing, and Big Trouble in Little China. Arguably the best out of all of these. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would argue as such, but you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, let's see, what is it? It was based on a short story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson. And John Carpenter did the screenplay. And apparently, he's credited. And apparently, <laughs> uh, he's credited as Frank Armitage, which yeah, I so found that, fascinating. That was his pseudonym. If you go back and look at some of the other movies, like The Thing and and uh, Big Trouble and uh, Escape from New York and stuff, he he had uh, Frank Armitage as his pseudonym because mm-hmm. he yeah. I mean, the Coen yeah. brothers do that too, right? It's like a thing. <laughs> I do that when I go check into a hotel. I have a, <laughs> I have a pseudonym. <laughs> the pseudonym is Sonny Bono. <laughs> yeah. It is not. <laughs> it's not going to walk at me like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everywhere what? I go. That's Bono, not Sonny Bono. Same thing. Sonny Bono is the one that got hit by a tree while he was skiing. <laughs> yes, the tree came out of nowhere and it hit him. <laughs> he was the sheriff of San Diego. There you go. Yeah. Not quite. He was the mayor of Palm Springs. He was the mayor. He was the mayor. <laughs> yeah, Palm Springs. But in, uh, there's a Beavis and Butthead where they're singing I Got You Babe. And then there's like an interlude where they're talking to Cher. And they're like, wasn't he the sheriff of San Diego? <laughs> She's like, no, he was the mayor of Palm Springs. Uh so there's that. Uh, anyway, the film stars Mr. Roddy Piper, Keith David, Meg Foster, and George Buck Flower. Now, those last two are interesting because, I mean, everyone's fantastic in this movie, but um, Meg Foster played Evil Inn in Masters of the Universe. And George Buck Flower, he's just one of those guys that's been in a thousand things. But you might recognize him from Back to the Future. He was the... The homeless guy that's like crazy drunk pedestrians. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, there's that. And of course, Keith David is a legend. And then uh, Roddy Piper at the time of, of uh, I guess, WWE, but it was WWF at the time. But yeah, super mega uh, wrestling star. Big deal. He also had uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, which I think might have even been the same year, if not the year before. I don't remember. But it was, I know it was around the 88 era. Wait, what? Is that yeah, a movie? Help. Yeah, Help Comes to Frogtown. You never heard of it? No. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Holy shit. What's yeah, it, look it up what, when you get a about? chance. Um, okay. It's like a post-apocalyptic world. And um, there's like these giant frog people. Uh, his name is actually Hell. Uh, oh. Let me just pull it up. Help Comes to Frogtown. Yeah, 1988. Uh, so same year. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Sandal Bergman's also in it, and she was Conan's love interest in Conan the uh, Barbarian. And then she was also the bad guy, I guess, bad woman in Red Sonia. Oh, Sorry. yeah, she was a she was a buff lady. <laughs> she could <laughs> kick both of our asses in like eight seconds, probably six <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's five. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's a bit of a badass. And, um, yeah. Anyway, just throwing that out there. A lot of, a lot of interesting cast folk. Um, 
But yeah. Amazing. Not Hell Comes to Frogtown, but they live. <laughs> Two very different the movies. Um, as far as critical reception goes, you're looking at 86% on the old tomato meter there. And uh, most of the critics like it. There's this guy here, Desmond Ryan from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's not terribly impressed. But as a movie, They Live is lethargic. As election propaganda, it's terrific. I think that's fair. They Live... Oh, this, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Dave Kerr from, from the Chicago Tribune. They Live is the looniest movie of the season and also one of the most engaging. Yeah. Engagement's a good word. <laughs> I mean, it is when you get to, when you get to like the the glasses, then it uh, cranks it up a notch uh, to eleven. Yeah, David Hogan from HoganReviews.co.uk says they live as a good laugh. I certainly enjoyed my time with it, but the sudden tonal shift and some poor acting does hurt it in the long run. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting. Uh, let's see here. Michael Wilmington from the Los Angeles Times. The joke is in the material. The idea itself is funny and daring. And sometime soon, they live suggest with grim knowing wink, the joke may be on us. Hmm. Sounds about right. And uh, that's about it. It had a budget of $4 million. And opening weekend, it made that on November 6th, 1988. And it grossed a whopping lucky $13 million. I would say that's quite successful. Dude, 1988, 13 million is easily like, like 15 million today. <laughs> Hell <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably, probably like triple that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I don't know. I don't have I don't have my inflation chart in front of me. But that's probably it's probably a lot. Ease up, ease a lot. A good thirty-two years ago, yeah, it's there. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a ton of good trivia on this movie too. Um, I think John Carpenter usually has a lot of fun stuff going on behind the scenes. But uh, Roddy Piper, he was Roddy Rowdy Piper for all the WWF WWE fans out there. He actually quit the WWE to make this film. Vince, Vince McMahon is um, historically very controlling, and he's. Uh, he he wasn't a huge fan of Rowdy or of, of Piper going and filming this. And there's a whole bunch of issues with his contract, so Piper just quit. He was like, "Peace out, dude. I'm taking my kilt and I'm going elsewhere." Uh, Carpenter is apparently still fascinated that the film opened number one at the box office because apparently it was number one. So that's pretty awesome when your own creation. He's like, "Holy shit! <laughs> it uh, it was a hit." Yeah, the, who knew? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, John, Carp- John Carpenter has said of this movie that it was a critique of Reaganomics, a vehicle to take on Reaganism. That's Ronald Reagan for anyone who doesn't know. The cowboy. <laughs> the actor? Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's the president in 1985? <laughs> yeah. uh, however, over the years, several neo-Nazi and white supremacist groups co-opted the movie for their own purpose, spreading rumors that it is really an allegory for Jews controlling the world. This forced Carpenter to respond on Twitter in 2017 by stating, they live as about yuppies and unrestrained capitalism. It has nothing to do with Jewish control of the world which is a slander and a lie. That just goes to show how some people can misinterpret what you're trying to create. And it is very unfortunate and sad that a, a, hate, a hateful group tried to turn this awesome movie into their own agenda. And they can right. F right off. Ain't yeah, nobody got time for racists. That's how they do, man. Yeah. Um, this one's fun. This one's fun. I wondered if you spotted this. So the communicators used by the guards near the end of the film, uh, they're these little black Yeah, they're PKE meters. I looked, I was like, where have I seen that? And I had, I paused it real quick. I'm like, oh God, yeah, it's Ghostbusters. So cool. It was like the exact same thing. I was like, hey, Egon Spangler's in this. (laughs) Pretty much, right? Uh, so the role of Nada, which is is the drifter, uh, was originally written for Mr. Kurt Russell. Jo- oh, uh, John- <laughs> I know. John Carpenter felt he should cast somebody else after casting Russell in four of his films prior to this one. Jeez. Take a hint, Carpenter. Uh, I mean, Elvis- Tarantino does that shit all the time. That's true. You, f- That's you find true. the people you like to work with. That doesn't necessarily have to just be characters. But I mean, if yeah. the if the people on the set all get along and you can make magic happen, I see no reason why you can't just keep pulling from that. They don't need to be the star every time. 
you know, like Tarantino moves people all around. They could be cameos or whatever. But if you get along great and there's great chemistry and they bring out the best in people, then why not? Fuck it. Yeah. And Tarantino loves uh, Kurt Russell as well. I mean, who doesn't? He, he is a really good actor. So it's it's fun that he finds roles for him. Dude, Lots Kurt Russell's my Patronus. I know. Expecto <laughs> Russellonium. <laughs> yeah, he just comes out and kicks some ass. Sometimes he's Captain Ron. Sometimes he's Snake Plissken. No way, man. He's uh, he's Jack, and he and he screams, and then he shoots up into the into the ceiling, and a piece of brick <laughs> yeah. falls on his head. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he's that bearded fuck in that movie, The Thing. I love that movie. It's got a so, big coat. Yeah. Big old, big old Arctic coat. Ready for a synopsis so you can relive They Live? <laughs> yeah. I can't <laughs> wait. Now, not a whole lot happens in this movie, so I can't imagine your synopsis is terribly long. <laughs> Do you want me to go, dum, 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 <laughs> while, you, while you read it? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> dum, that, sounded, dum. that sounded like Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. By Eric Saxton. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All right. A lone drifter arrives in Los Angeles looking for work. The drifter makes friends with Frank, a fellow construction worker, just trying to make a living. Frank introduces the drifter to a homeless encampment community that may be doing more than just feeding the residents. The drifter discovers that the church across the way is the command center of a societal uprising, talking about eliminating, quote unquote, them. He also discovers many boxes of sunglasses, which appear to be nothing. After the, after the police raid the encampment and the church, the drifter returns back to collect a box of glasses from a hidden wall. Once he puts his glasses on, the clarity of his surroundings becomes apparent. Advertisements turn to commanding statements like obey and do not question authority. And to his surprise, all the upper class yuppies are revealed as grotesque otherworldly creatures. After the drifter confronts several people on this, they begin to report him using some sort of unilateral communication from their watches. The drifter is able to kill two alien cops and begins going on a shooting spree for all of the other alien life forms that he sees. The drifter then takes hostage of a woman, Holly Thompson, and asks her to help him. Holly is able to escape as she knocks the drifter out of her window. The drifter goes back to Frank to convince him to put on sunglasses Frank, wanting nothing to do with the murderous drifter, refuses, and the two men engage in one of the most glorious street fights in film history. The drifter is finally able to put on the glasses, uh, put the glasses on Frank for him to see the world for how it truly is. The two men then make their way to a secret hideout of members from the homeless encampment, and the group provides contact lenses to the two in lieu of sunglasses as they begin planning a mission to destroy the subliminal broadcast satellite on top of Channel 54 News. Holly appears and wants to help the group, but the reunion is cut short by another police raid. Frank and the Drifter are able to escape into an underground lair using one of the alien wristwatches and discover a secret meeting of yuppie aliens that travel through space to planets all around the galaxy using their resources and their people for their benefit. Man, this is crazy to Stephen Reed. It sounds far-fetched. Frank and the Drifter escape to Channel 54 and find Holly. As the three make their way to the roof to destroy the satellite, Holly shoots Frank and holds the Drifter at gunpoint. The Drifter is able to kill Holly and turns to destroy the dish, getting shot by the police in the process. As the Drifter dies, the rest of the world begins to see the aliens in their true form. The ugly, glaring truths of consumerism in society is clear, but it is now up for us to decide what to do with these truths. Boom. There you go. That's a lot of action. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of rowdy, rowdy piper there. A lot, of, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. Oh, I know. And his hair is the worst. Like the, I like that it. era of, <laughs> of just being long in the back there. It's not quite a mullet, but close enough. Yeah. Um, just I can't can't do it. And once he once he cut it short, like there's this whole era in the 90s where all those wrestlers finally cut their fucking hair off and they just look normal. And I love it. <laughs> I love Aww. hair bands, but I don't like hair. <laughs> Weird how that works. <laughs> I just want the music. It's all about the Should music. Should have been a man. barber so I could just chop it all off. Like, yeah, see. All right, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, when did you first see this movie and what was your initial reaction? Ooh. Uh, so I don't remember what caused it, but I think I was about 16, I'm just going to say. And it was, I got it on the DVD there for Netflix. Uh, it was. I thought it was filled with a lot of great one-liners, and of course, the bubblegum line was my favorite. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really, I didn't really understand it as much. Uh, 
as opposed to now, because I think this most recent viewing was my first in quite a while, but I think it's a great social commentary on just the class disparity between, you know, the upper and the lower class, uh, just kind of about how the upper class uses the lower class to benefit themselves. Sure. Just they use these aliens as this crazy illusion, like Carpenter uses them as the yuppies. Um, it reminded me slightly of American Psycho in that sort of sense of, with the way that they were trying to talk about that yuppie culture. Um, but I watched this really great video on by Cinefix that actually compared this movie to the Truman Show and how media consumes us. So I thought that, that was really fun because I, I like the Truman Show and it made a lot of sense where they were talking about how we're just so consumed by by television and, and social media and all that stuff and consumerism. But, right. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. What about you? Gosh, I was about nine years old, maybe 10 at this point. I saw it at my friend Aaron Matoni's house across the street. And uh, uh, yeah, he had the same haircut as Roddy Piper. Now that I think about it. <laughs> oh, geez. And one earring. He was cool. I never had piercings. Still don't. I got the, I got the tats, but no piercings. Um, but yeah, um, at the time, I, I wasn't seeing it. I mean, I was nine, nine or ten years old. So I mean, uh, commercialism and and material things and 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 yuppies weren't really in my vocabulary. I just saw it as these guys that put on glasses and they saw things for what they were. You know, I, I connected dots, but it was more of an action movie for me, and um, and I enjoyed it when I was a kid. And I saw it again in in high school, and then again in college, and then uh, I think about like five years ago or so, I watched it most recently. And then, of course, uh, whatever, two days ago. So I've probably seen it about five times. What did but, you watch? I mean, it on I've, this? I've always enjoyed it. What was that? What did you what did you watch it on this time? Um, I watched it on the Hulu. I think it's I think it's tied to stars on Hulu. Oh, yeah. I watched it on the stars app on my TV. OK, yeah. So, yeah, I just cut it through through Hulu. They're tied together on my on my system. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So it's good. It's like, I'm always a ghost there. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's let's break this movie down a little bit. <laughs> when uh, when Piper puts on the glasses for the first time, we get a peek into this world that's that's hiding in plain sight. You know, we see billboards with words like obey, marry and reproduce, consume. Even magazines and street signs read words like work eight hours, sleep eight hours, play eight hours, conform, stay asleep, submit, watch, sleep and buy. Like literally telling us what to do. So after watching this movie, are you, either for your very first time or even just this last week, are you concerned at all about commercialism, subliminal messaging, or alien invasions? Yes. Great. Do you <laughs> do you, do you buy shit you don't need? Why do you, why do you feel this urge to collect things? Like like what do we get out of it? Why do folks have curio cabinets filled with glass figurines of manatees and elephants? What compels us to buy this crap? Yeah, a lot to unfold there, but uh, but I'll, I'll try to go through it um, as best as I can. So basically, with the subliminal messaging, I mean, look now at things like Instagram and TikTok, uh, how fake and damaging those things can be where people will look at it and say, well, if I want to be attractive, I need to be I need to look like this Instagram influencer or I need to get a ton of followers like this TikTok follower. But inversely, though, I mean, I am a user of Instagram. I don't do I don't do that TikTok shit, but I like Instagram because I like to post pictures of my hikes or my travels to uh, affect a change in someone and maybe see if they can go outside and explore the world a little more. So I think IG can be used for good, but um, I just think you have to be very, very careful with it. And I think that's why a lot of influencers are like advertise. They they advertise because people will will just be consumed by that. So in a certain sense, I think it's subliminal messaging. Um, you know, uh, wait, hold on, let's see, what did I write here? Oh, and then in terms of, uh, any type of existence outside of there, like alien invasions, it would be incredibly ignorant of me to dismiss any types of aliens because humans are not the only ones there. And Matthew McConaughey taught us that in Interstellar, the have you, third, <laughs> third best Nolan film of all time. So have you seen that side by side pick of like what we like a 1950s version of an alien, like a green skinny faced alien. And then Mark Zuckerberg. It's like a side by side. It's pretty great. Holy shit. Like he was like holding that cup of water while he's like doing like that, that hearing that he was do- involved in. Oh and yeah. It is remarkable. It's like, <laughs> well, you don't even need glasses. That, that son of a bitch is totally an alien. 
I'll have to Google it then. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And then um, to answer your rapid fires, I mean, yeah, so I, I do buy shit I don't need. And I try not to. I really try not to. I'm not as bad as some people, but I do buy shit I don't need. I feel like we're we're. I feel this urge to collect things, um, me personally, because I like I collect Funkos, but for me, that's about nostalgia and it's, it's a hobby that I have of having my own, like, you know, sweet. I get three Lord of the Rings ones. Well, I got to get the other three to complete series one of it. Right. That's just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to unlock the next level. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, why, yeah. why, do, why do we do that? It's so dumb. Yeah. Like, gotta yeah. Catch them all. Yeah, I, 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 I think, get it. It's, it's yeah. really weird, but I mean, it's I find it remarkable. You know, like there yeah. there are people that wake up and and they have to be at the store when they open to run in to get that shit that they literally will die without. And I I find that just absolutely remarkable. As someone that that makes a living selling collectibles, I <laughs> yeah, I, I I see something come through and I'm like, dude, I'm totally fucking buying that. <laughs> I'm like, I. <laughs> I need that. Exactly. It's, like, it's like it's like in uh, what is it? Napoleon Dynamite when he's like, I want <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, the ship like, like, in the bottle. Totally. Like I'm I'm all into super robots right now, and it's like you know I've I've had my entire life to to be involved in in like the super robot scene, and I not once ever cared, except maybe like when I was a kid and I had Voltron. But I mean now I can't get enough of it. I am just gobbling it up. I'm like Edward Nigma sitting in the chair, just soaking up all this information. Uh, like a sponge and i have to know more and i and i don't get it like it makes zero sense to me why i am compelled to buy this shit that i don't need well i think that you get brief moments of satisfaction or or just true satisfaction i mean for me like so today my friend matt he helped me build this this badass uh poster frame for this enormous poster that i actually i accidentally got it's way too big but uh we're gonna mount it up in my living room and it looks it looks great i'll i'll put a picture on instagram later but uh i didn't need that poster but it really tied the room together so (laughs) so (laughs) i wanted to frame it but um yeah, I, I think that some things people buy, though, like different, I don't know, uh, side tables or new new coasters. I mean, it's it's almost this ostentatious feeling that that you have to have that when people come over, they need to see it. And even in the terms of, right. my, of my poster, right? right. Like you, they have to be like, holy shit, that's awesome. Why can't I live to that status in my life? And some of it's a status symbol, but some of it is to show the merit of all your hard work or your career. So for me, like when I when I buy something nice, I'm like, you know what? I'm treating myself. I, I busted my ass. I want to buy this this Megazord, this, this life-size this, Megazord. This six, yeah, I was going to say, this six-foot-tall <laughs> Skeletor statue. One yeah, of a kind, $8,000. Can be a fountain if you need it to be. It's amazing. It's remarkable. Now you need Castle Grayskull. Signed by Frank Langella himself. <laughs> yes. That's, now we're talking. Fucking Skeletor, man. <laughs> Things like a like a boat or an RV are are uh, to me those are like the ultimate status symbols for the the uh, modern American uh, adult is is buying that because they depreciate so quick. But it's like if you have one, it's it's pretty badass in, in certain senses. Now, me personally, I like to collect experience so experiences, so I like to travel a lot, uh, and I do have possessions, but I prefer experiences. Um, Good yeah, for you. and then. And then when you mention like what what compels people to buy this crap, I just think some people they started with nothing and 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 these are their possessions. And you were talking about the curio cabinets with the glass figurines passed down. Uh, you know, these are their possessions. Like my grandpa, he's he's a pack rat. It's because he grew up poor, but he grew up in a different time. And a lot of these these glass figurines are like the what was the one from Better Call Saul? The little uh, yodeler oh, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, so a lot of that stuff that's passed down, I mean, we, we live in a world where you buy things that are temporary. We live in an I- Ikea world where you can throw things away, you know, three years later. So passing stuff down doesn't really fit into our, our plans of, of where we live and our modernization of the world. But I think that, yeah, just I, I think some people, those were their possessions and they kind of passed them. And unfortunately, they're not ours. So, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just weird because like, like some people might think that a Magnum PI Ferrari is just as cool as a little dolphin glass statue in a cabinet. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I have to have this. Like this is this is who I am. If I don't have this red car, then no one's gonna know who I am. You know, I'm not gonna be out crushing P word like 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 Tom Selleck. And and I think that that's just remarkable. I mean, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. You know, I have I have so many stupid toys. That I don't even know what I'm gonna do with. It's just a problem. And if you ever have moved 
and you got to box the shit up. You know how annoying it is. And um, I just I find it remarkable. I mean, I'm not buying, you know, boats and hoes. So I'm, I'm not quite a yuppie, <laughs> as it were. I'm, I'm a nerdy guy <laughs> that buys a bunch of toys. But at the end of the day, it's it's all the same. They identify with these things. Now, I'm just curious if these toys were were burned into my head because of words like obey and consume <laughs> and conform. And, and I was told to buy these things, you know, as I'm as I'm constantly on my Twitter feed constantly. It's it's disgusting. I can't take it anymore. I can't switch off. I, I mean, I am constantly tweeting for for work and, and I'm Insta facing and Facebooking and all this all this social media stuff. And I can't switch off. And I am just getting like destroyed by all, by all the information that I'm reading and seeing pop up on my feed. And I can't stand it. It's like. It's literally affecting my attitude on a day-to-day level, which I find remarkable. You know, I'm not going and standing in front of a magazine stand like they were in the movie, but my phone is now the magazine stand. You know, this is where I get my information from. There you go. And I think when you look at sales, I mean, look look at the difference between $1 compared to 99 cents. That one cent difference when people make prices like $39.99, that sounds so much sexier than $40. It sounds like, oh my God, I can afford that. I need to go buy this now. And I kid you not, like that's, to me, that's that's subliminal messaging because people look at it, they're like, oh yeah, 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 I can totally get this. I need to buy pointless shit. son of a bitch by a penny. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not paying 100. I'll pay 99.99 though. I just happen to have 99 cents extra in my pocket i have a little coin thing on my hip and i take yeah, out 99 little, cents of it <laughs> yeah like one of those little like coin counter thingies with the yeah shing, 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 the little yeah. Yeah, that's great oh, i yeah, love that there you go yeah i need one of those <laughs> they don't have they don't really have that anymore because like casinos it's all paper you get like mm-hmm. a like a little voucher or, or it's on a card that's not the yeah. same i need to hear you the tink tink ticket. tink tink tinks yeah yep. stick to your ticket what can you do? Now, question for you. Do you remember any catchy commercial jingles from your childhood? Like these, these this is all about advertisements, right? So I'm just curious if any have just been burned in your brain. Um yeah. So, so I have I have a bunch, and this one's hard to think of off the top of my head, and I wrote this down a little bit too. I, w- I was thinking mostly like board games. So sure. games like Twister, uh, Skip It's not really a board wait, game. Wait, but Skip how it. did how did the Twister song go? It was like Twister, the hot spot. That's all I remember. Exactly. <laughs> I think that one guy sang all the songs too. Yeah, Mine is pretty much because that was like that was like a little kid. <laughs> skip it, skip it. Yeah, I think he's the guy. Does Brian the Adams crossfire sing? guy? Crossfire, yeah, crossfire. <laughs> No, but does Brian Adams sing "If Heaven and Hell Collide Tonight"? That's what it reminds me of. Oh, maybe. But yeah. Anyway, skip and skip it was a good one. Uh, the game Trouble, that was With a good the one. Pop-O-Matic Bubble. Yeah. yeah, that's that's catchy. That marketing guy or girl got a got a got a high five for that one. Yeah. <laughs> the mom's like, "What are you guys doing? Getting into trouble?" My brother and I used to say that to our mom, and she'd be like, "Shut up." <laughs> she'd go mad. At us. <laughs> I used to go, go to your rooms. Sorry, <laughs> I would say that. I still do, but uh, mostly it's evolved from Seinfeld when when this guy has a cane, he hits Elaine on her foot, and she looks. She's like, "Ow!" And she looks up at him. And he's in like this neck brace, and he's like, "Sorry." <laughs> it's the <laughs> funniest thing ever. But anyway, the the sorry also works. There was a game called Don't Wake Daddy, and that was kind of weird. <laughs> um, that sounds uh, remarkable. That's where you like play an au pair and a baby, like a your babysitter and a kid, and you gotta fool around. How's that one work? No, you're a, you're a kid. You're trying to sneak down to the kitchen from upstairs, and uh, there's little things that you do. It's kind of like Operation and pretty much those other games where oh, yeah, you yeah. know if you hit anything, it, it wakes them up. But yeah, you can't you can't wake Daddy because you're in trouble. So. Uh, Do you probably, remember Mr. Probably, Bucket? <laughs> yeah, oh, you Mr. put your Bucket. balls in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right I didn't think that one through. <laughs> oh, Bucket's uh, a fun. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, g- gator Golf. Remember Gator Golf? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gator Golf. Give it a whack. Gator Golf. I'll spit it right back. Nothing be, Nothing could be greater than playing a game of golf with a gator. I can think of a lot yeah. of things greater than a golf with a gator. But. I know. They also had like the Crocodile Mile with the... With the water slide type thing that you would have in your oh yeah backyard. that was fun a little safari thing yeah uh, and then crossfire yeah I grew up in the desert we had we had a lot of sand games it was like it was like 
roll in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> you guys Pick play, up rocks. <laughs> you guys play Dune. Dune and Beetlejuice yeah. monsters. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully one of those Harkonnen fucks. This is going to be great. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, Crossfire, uh, Connect 4. Connect 4 was a really good sure. one, too. How did that go? Uh, it was like, go for the bottom and go for the top. It was like, go for oh, yeah, it, yeah. Connect 4. That's and then right. uh, he, I still do it. Whenever I play Connect 4, which ne- is never... Whenever I win, I go connect four, and then people are like, "You're an asshole." So, <laughs> and then the guy over in the hot pocket department's like, "Hot pockets, <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna pick? Hot pockets, <laughs> connect four. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's so crazy. Yeah, and then the other guy's like, crossfire. <laughs> <laughs> so the the key is two words. <laughs> That's Just the yell. Money yeah. That's all you gotta do. Yeah. Um, my goodness what about bagel bites how did that go oh dude ba- yeah bagel bites was um pizza in the morning pizza in the evening pizza at supper time, supper time. pizzas <laughs> on a bagel you can eat pizza, pizza anytime, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the job to have to have jingles but the thing is yeah. all my jingles have like obscenities <laughs> i know <laughs> So I can't really do it. I can make like, yeah, I can make like like porno commercials, but I can't do no, I can't no kids games. I'll get in trouble. Oh jeez. Uh, yeah, two words. That's that's the magic thing. What about as an adult? Do you remember any any like newer ones? Like I always say like dot com to anything. That was that so, was a pretty good one. It's hard now because as an adult, I don't I don't have cable, so all we have is streaming services. So you know we get we get some ads here and there, but they aren't like they're only like a minute and a half ads if you're watching Hulu or something like that. But the things I I, I remember like from the radio because I listen to sports radio is Cars for Kids, that one eight seven seven Cars for Kids. I hate it so much, but yeah, the General, the insurance, the you know go to the General and save some time. <laughs> that one. <laughs> um, oh, okay, uh, and then uh jg wentworth i hate that one too but uh yeah those are the only three that i really can think of off the top of my head the radio commercials i find are just remarkable because they they have like 15 seconds or 30 seconds to blow me away and they come up with the most obnoxious audio (laughs) to just make me want to crash my car yeah and uh i don't i don't get it i never understood the science behind a radio commercial and have you ever seen the movie City or City Slickers with Billy Crystal? Dana yeah, Stone, like a long Brooker. time ago. Long yeah, time ago. so Billy Crystal's character works at a radio station, and his job is to sell airtime. So he sells commercials, and uh, or he sells the airtime for commercials, rather. And there's this part where I think it's Jeffrey Tambor, actually, who comes up to him, and he plays the tape. He's like, got a second? And he's like, yeah, sure, what? And he goes, I want to play this for you. And it was a commercial that uh, plays on the radio. And I still remember that movie came out like in like 1990 and I've seen it maybe whatever, three times or something, but it just burned with me. And it was, it goes pizza guy, pizza guy, come on down to pizza guys, happy health and mozzarella, a pizza guys. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so obnoxious, but every time I eat pizza or I want to have pizza or I think about pizza, I sing it. And it's not even a real place, but I just want to sing it. <laughs> and I find that remarkable. And, and, and Billy Crystal's character is like, so he's like, so it's stupid, it's annoying. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't write it. He goes, no, but you bought it. You put it on the air three times a day while people are in traffic, and Christ, people are having accidents because of this stuff. But at the same time, it it worked. It was effective. I I remember it. I shouldn't remember it. You know, that's that's thirty years ago, and and it's a fake place. <laughs> But it's still just burned into my head. And I find that remarkable. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Man, I need to write jingles. Yeah. Ah. So speaking of music, let's let's talk for a second about, about the music. Um, you know, we've spoken at nauseum about how music can elevate a film to new heights by keeping the viewer engaged. That was the that was the buzzword we used earlier with that review. Um like engaged with what's happening on screen. Uh the melody from the opening credits continued to play throughout the entire film, and it almost never let up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was just burn, 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 constantly with with an occasional like harmonica. And um, did that did that take away from your enjoyment in any way, or were you rocking out to it? 
Yeah, so I definitely noticed it. It was uh, it was definitely glaring, and I think it worked at times, but it also didn't. It also didn't really do much for me in it. It it did kind of take me out at certain points. It made it seem more casual, if anything. Like the stakes weren't as high. Maybe it made it seem more B movie status. But uh, maybe Carpenter did that to create some sort of sense of I don't know believability of of this not so fictional world. But I mean, or maybe he just got lazy with it. He does all of his own music, I think. Right, he does. And a lot of times, like the Halloween music is is so crazy iconic, and I love it so much. Um, I love uh, Escape from New York. I love Big Trouble in Little China. And um, but something about this one, I feel like if this music only played at the beginning while he's strolling into town from where, like Denver, Colorado, or wherever the hell he said he was coming from, um, he like walked all the way from the Rockies, you know, and um i think it was a good moseying music as he was trying to find a job and looking for work and looking for a place to stay but i think it, it could have evolved and changed a bit but that was literally the only thing that i remember was the bum, 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 bum. so <laughs> fascinating i mean maybe because it's an 80s movie i let it slide a bit but i personally i think it's bad uh, are there any other movies where the score or soundtrack either took you out of it or almost ruined the film for you? Big Trouble in Little China. You are crazy. <laughs> Don't be crazy. Some, so that is one thing I, I do remember is is the music seemed out of place in that movie uh, at nuts. times. It goes, it goes, um, how does it go? It goes, um, good shit let me go clean my ears real quick because they're bleeding because they're bleeding that's that's the soothing sounds of justino (laughs) (laughs) yeah no definitely not but uh maximum overdrive because that that was all acdc which i love acdc but it was a little it was a little too much too much maximum acdc on that one Mm -hmm. and then uh there's a movie called good time by the safety brothers which they just are they did uncut gems and everything and they're everything about them is extreme and good time really was over the top with music for me kind of same with uncut gems but it is what it is it took me out of it all right what about on the flip side something like like a quiet place where you're focusing on the sound and not so much the music i love a quiet place so much uh so like punch drunk love uh pta he's a genius and punch drunk love's all about the sound so i really like that inception the bomb uh, any Tarantino, <laughs> any, any Tarantino film like with the <laughs> from <laughs> from <World> the Worlds. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we we touched base on it earlier, but uh, how we we're talking about Kill Bill. But any Tarantino film has really good uh, a really good score, and it really adds to the. It's like its own character, especially in um, Hateful Eight. Love it. So uh, yeah, and then yeah, uh, that that um, that composer just passed away. I forget his name. Ennio Ennio um, Mar- Maracone. Ennio Maracone, maybe that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's sad. Just he, like two uh, days ago or something. Yeah, it was really sad. Uh, and then, yeah, any any Adam Sandler movie, pretty much. But that's more because he has always has a really good soundtrack for each of his films. Just like a lot of eighties movie or eighties songs, seventies songs, and it just fits in. And they play so frequently throughout his movies that I would consider that as part of the the, the score and not just like a soundtrack. You know what I mean? Right. He'll have he can have like upwards of like thirty songs. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But it's usually like uh, whatever is a hit at the time, I feel like. Sure, absolutely. Uh, like it, I mean, assuming it's not a period piece, but like like in the year, like Little Nicky, for example, that had a lot of hits from the late 90s crammed mm-hmm. into that movie. Um, obviously, Wedding Singer had a, a billion hits from the 80s, so much so that there was two volumes to the soundtrack. Happy Gilmore is an amazing soundtrack. Like, yeah. How does Happy Gilmore go? I just remember the... The theme song that plays throughout it. <laughs> like when he's ding, like, uh, ding, 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 yeah. Yeah. Tuesday's gone. It's <laughs> yeah. Le- Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Hit that, hit that whammy bar. <laughs> you want to, you want to whammy that shit. <laughs> um, Yeah. Now, do you think a movie like this would benefit from today's computer-generated visual effects, or do you think the charm of practical effects could still get the job done? 
I am always a fan of practical effects. I think that uh, Rob Bowden showed us in the 70s that it could be done. And I think that that still holds up. You have practical effects, even in the newest Star Wars films, they did a really good job with them. So and especially sci-fi and horror films, I believe that you if you use CGI sparingly as a tool and not a crutch, I totally think that it would be uh, superior. No, I know I'm, I'm a big fan of the practical with horror as well. I, and it just especially since um, even though the concept is still the same, every, they've just there's such a fine art to it that um, it really looks real now. <laughs> oh, like, totally. Dude, they just chopped that fool's head off. <laughs> yeah. That like, sucks. <laughs> when, when was the last time you went to Disneyland and saw some of the animatronics there? Um, it would have been 2017. Like, uh, so I, I watched a video on Disneyland Japan and they had, I think it was, uh, they had a, a robot of Belle for Beauty and the Beast and it looked so real. It was scary how real it looked. But, uh, it's one yeah, of those I mean, Japanese yeah. sex bots. There you go. They have those. <laughs> Jeez. I'm sure they do. <laughs> it's called Don't Wake Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> right? I knew it. I knew I heard of that before. <laughs> Check my browser history. <laughs> Control shift and incognito mode. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I always forget that. <laughs> I, it's, it's, I'm old. I don't care. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> I got nothing to hide. I don't got kids. Um, let's see here. Now, I've been championing this movie f- to get remade since pretty much the dawn of the Geek Legacy podcast. Um, it's in my mind, I could see someone like uh, Chad Zaleski from uh, director John Wick or Ryan Coogler or Jordan Peele. Um, I think any one of those three could just knock this movie out of the park. Um, Have you given any thought about a remake? And um, are there any directors or actors that you would like to see pull this off? Um, I haven't really thought about a remake for this until you asked that. But I do love all those directors, and I think they all could do a very good job and bring something completely different to this film. Uh, I, I think it'd be neat to, before I get into casting, I think it'd be neat to incorporate digital assistants uh, in, into this. So like Siri, Alexa, Google Home, and you were talking about Twitter and Instagram. I think you could totally upgrade it to nowadays. But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe to play Nada, somebody like Jeremy Renner or Tom Hardy or Jake Gyllenhaal. You wouldn't want to see a wrestler do it? Like someone like The Rock or so or I was thinking like, like I was thinking like John Cena, uh, maybe. I think that might be kind of cool just because he has been into acting and I think you could do something good with him, but uh, I don't really know per se, but then you could do, I mean, you could have Mahershala Ali play Frank just, and that was the only person that came up because I just love him. He's such a good actor or you could flip flop it. You could make, uh, you could get a, a black actor to play Nada and then a white actor to play Frank. And so make the lead black. And, and one person I was thinking too, and this came up, um, oh, I think I wrote him down. Yeah, Mike Coulter, the guy who played Luke Cage in the Luke Cage series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, I really like I I really liked him a lot, and I think he'd be a very good Nada, kind of that drifter, not really talking, and he's just he's a, a huge guy. So I think that that would be really fun. But sure, I think I think even if you took it a step further, um, I think that Charlize Theron, you know, with Furiosa and Atomic Blonde. She showed that she's just such a fucking badass and can beat the shit out of anyone, especially aliens. Um, even she could play Nada, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, oh, 100%. I, I don't. Yeah. If if they were doing a re- remake with her as the lead, I would be the first in line digitally because we, we're social distancing. So, <laughs> yeah, we don't do that shit. <laughs> Living in the past. Ooh, for the preacher, though, real quick, the, the blind preacher. I was thinking Jeffrey Wright because I think Jeffrey Wright would do a really good job with that. Sure. sure. <laughs> and then, re- oh, and then also, sorry, I, I wrote this down real quick. I think it'd be fun to do like a role reverse on it. Or I'm sorry, a, um, a flip the script sort of thing. Like you could make it a screwball comedy starring Steve Carell or, and Will Ferrell. And it's like more funny than it is an action movie. I don't know. Just well, an idea. Yeah. We'll just take that idea and throw it in the garbage. Fine. Um, according to the wikipedia page there is um matt reeves was supposedly on board to remake this movie and that was somewhere in the neighborhood of uh i lost it somewhere in the neighborhood of like the 
the the the tens, the twenty tens. I don't remember where it was. In February twenty seventeen. Um, I guess. So we'll see how that ever plays out. There you go. Um, but you know, he did like the Planet of the Apes movies. I think, you know, when I was talking a long time ago about uh remaking this movie, uh, Matthew Vaughn was at the top of my list to make this movie because he just knows how to make an action movie. You know, like the Kingsman movies are pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think I stand by by my new list right now. I'm a sucker for John Wick. I love Creed and, you know, Get Out and Us are pretty amazing, too. And I know Jordan Peele is all about like horror. And I think that at its core, this can be a sci fi horror movie. What about actors? Um, I, well, I've kind of sold myself on the Charlize Theron one. Um, and then even having someone like The Rock be um, Keith David's character, I think could be kind of cool. Um, Ooh, yeah. Uh, or maybe have like um, m- like Michael B. Jordan um, be uh, Nada, which would be really cool too. Um, I just think uh, it's hard to recast i always i can always do directors but i can never do actors (laughs) i can always say oh you know what i think this guy's got a pretty creative mind they could have a good time with it um but at the end of the day um i'm always so just blown away by other people's performances you know like like most of the world when when Heath ledger was announced to be joker i was like laughing at it i'm like are you serious like the Night's Tale guy, and then you watch it, and you're like, "Holy shit, that was amazing!" Shame on me for judging, you know. Um, so it's really hard for me to pick a cast. I would be a lousy casting director. You could cast. You could stick with Charlize Theron, and then put Tom Hardy as Frank, and then yeah, put cha- they don't like change each the other. change the setting, change the setting, make it like a desert or something like that, yeah. and uh, and then have them fight in the desert over. I don't know. You could just say they're trying to take a truck or something like that, but have them fight, and it's original idea, completely original. It's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I I definitely I dig this movie. I like. I like a lot of the themes. I like the idea of how we are just, you know, swayed and, and, you know, we're obsessed with possessions and living our life a certain way, measuring success a certain way, you know, by having this car, by having this house, by having this watch, by having this boat, we have, we've made it right. And, um, I find it remarkable. And there's so many parallels in today's world with this, fictional world in 1988 that just blows me away and that's that's how you know it's good sci-fi right is because it's it's a social commentary it's either where we're going or where we've been the mistakes that we've made that got us here and it's never going to be perfect even when it's some sort of utopian world it came at a horrible cost and it's usually built on lies and so i always find that fascinating I totally agree with you. I enjoyed the movie. I'm glad that it became a cult classic. I think Carpenter is a cult classic director. Most of his films have become that. And I think he is a renaissance man. He he kind of did did a little bit of everything, mostly sci-fi, but he kind of did a little everything. So uh, very much so I like this movie. Are we doing letter grades? Is that what we're trying to do too? Oh, I mean, we can. Oh, sure. Uh, what, do you, what letter grade do you give it? Uh, so I'm going to give it a... A B plus for Piper. (laughs) I I give it a B plus just because I do like it, but I wouldn't say that it's my favorite John Carpenter movie. Oh, but I I do do give it a B plus. So that's good. Room for improvement. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's a B plus as well. I uh, the music could have easily bumped that up to excuse me an A if it were better. I put on these glasses and I see a bunch of aliens. Um, yeah, crazy shit. And, and you know, they're making toys now of these guys, too. Uh, I think it's like Super 7. They made the uh, They Live action figures. Oh, my gosh. And, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of have like this retro look to them and everything. There's a lot of charm that comes with the Super 7 um, production lines. Cool. With that nostalgia. Like, this toy looks terrible, but I like it because this is what toys look like in 1988. (laughs) 
like the there reaction series same same kind of concept mm-hmm. if you remember those which by the way they made big trouble little china figures for and i regret not buying them <laughs> you get the flying eye monster <gasps> now we're talking here you go national treasure <laughs> nicholas cage wants to steal that monster <laughs> <laughs> You know, that'll just not. Um, do you have anything else to add? No, sir. All right. Do you want to take us home? No way. You take us home. All right. Thank you for listening to another fun and festive episode of the well, almost a geek legacy podcast <laughs> of the Don Fit Crazy Podcast. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we'll discuss them on the show. We're usually pretty good about that. Um, you can even tell us what movie we think we should watch next. Um, I think I'm ready for something crazy. So hit me with your best shot, as it were. Um, also, be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast, hosted by Mr. Dave Evanson, Randy Van Dyke, and myself, Justin Cavender. Uh, and we also have the Pixelated podcast, which is hosted by Stephen K. James, where he and I talk about the video games, like Lana Del Rey, just please don't be crazy. Thank you so much. Welcome to football. <laughs> it's football day. <laughs> <laughs>